0: was kind of magically appeared there through pure error. There's
1: like an entire broad category of words which more or less mean something that's really great that used to have distinctly different meanings.
0: Coming up on Word Matters, a ghost word and a famous linguistic complaint. I'm Emily Brewster and Word Matters is produced by Merriam-Webster in collaboration with New England Public Media. On each episode... Merriam-Webster editors Neil Servan, Amon Shea, Peter Sokolowski, and I explore some aspect of the English language from the dictionary's vantage point. It's a ghost, or even spookier, a ghost word. Cue the scary organ music. I'll tell the tale of how a fake word somehow made it past our editors to haunt the pages of a Merriam-Webster dictionary. In 1934, the GNC Merriam Company, I believe the name was at the time, released a new dictionary. It was called Webster's New International Dictionary, Second Edition. It was the culmination of work done by 250 editors and consultants, It weighed 17 pounds. It has a six-inch binding. It is the largest book to ever be mass-produced. And within the structure of that dictionary, between those covers, there was a word that is what we call a ghost word. It was a word that was not supposed to be there at all. It was in the Ds, D-O-R-D, with the meaning density. Was
1: this disapproved of, not supposed to? Because a lot of people think there are many words that shouldn't be in the dictionary. (laughs) Is this in a different manner than that typical one?
0: This word had never been seen in any kind of published, edited text, as far as we know. There was no evidence of it in the files at the Merriam-Webster headquarters. Mm -hmm. No editor had ever carefully marked this word and said, oh, this is an interesting word that means density. This word just kind of magically appeared there through pure... Did somebody lose a bet? Was that it? Was this a prank gone awry? It was not. It was a complete and utter mistake. There was a chemistry editor who was named Austin M. Patterson.
1: That sounds like the name of somebody who's responsible for Dord.
0: I think it sounds like probably a a very responsible editor, period, Ammon. I really don't think you should denigrate Mr. (laughs) Patterson. Patterson did nothing wrong, by the way. He was doing his work as a chemistry definer. He was making note of the different things that the letter D is used as an abbreviation for. And so he wrote on a little slip of paper, on a three-by-five slip of paper, capital D or lowercase d, density. And this was to be understood as capital D or lowercase d are both used as abbreviations for the word density. So
2: the letter D just meant density.
0: That's right. Okay. So he passed this slip on to the next person in the chain of people who deal with these things. When we did our lexicography on paper, the same piece of paper would be seen by multiple editors who had different tasks. They would do pronunciation, etymology, just editing, reviewing, cross-reference, all of this. The person who received his slip of paper that said D or D density thought that there was simply a space missing between the O and the R. At this time, an editor would always leave a space between the letters of a word so that any kind of stresses could be added, any kind of stress marks could be added very easily, pronunciation symbols. And so the person who handled this slip saw D, capital D, space, O, R, space, lowercase d, and thought, oh, there should be a space between the O and the R. So that person did a squiggly underline under the whole word, which meant the whole thing is one word and it should be in boldface. And wow. this entry went next to a pronunciation editor who said, OK, Dord, well, you know, there's not, not much controversy on how this could be pronounced. And so just kind of, you With know. With no pen-
2: evidence. No evidence
3: at all. No, no recording of somebody saying this word at all. Or, That's yeah. right. Yeah. That's
0: right. And we don't actually know, you know, the, the etymologist just, I don't know. Didn't address it at all. In any case, it it made it into the dictionary as a word meaning density. It was in this dictionary. Again, that dictionary was published in 1934. In 1939, an editor recognized that this word was in there and that it was an error. And this person wrote up a slip that said, ghost word, Mm -hmm. imperative, urgent, this must be removed. (laughs) It was not actually removed until 1947 Mm. because these things are slow. You think about the size of this dictionary and just mm. how many words were in this dictionary. In this dictionary, Peter, you can get into the details of just how exceptionally <laughs> prolix this dictionary mm. was. It had so, so, so many words. And making a change to a print dictionary like this, it's a complicated, expensive proposition. And that was
2: two lines of text, I think, that entry, right? No, just one. It was just the one. This is a book that was still set in hot type, so it has to be remembered that if we corrected it, we had to add a line of text to that column without having consequences that could be dire on a book that had 4,000 pages. Is there any
1: evidence that after the publication of Webster's Second, the years between when it was published and before the Doord was taken out. Was the word then... Did it escape into the wild?
2: Mm, did, did anyone it? use it? <laughs> the one use of doored, in, in, innocent, dorns. and innocent use. Of- I
0: don't think any chemists or scientists were convinced to use Doord because it appeared in a dictionary. Such,
1: they're <laughs> usually such an easily duped lot. You'd really
2: say. But oh, them. the thing is, this leads to other questions. I mean, to before,
0: all, before right. we get there, though, I just want to say that I would really love to see the figurative use of density. <laughs> being referred to with the word dord. It does seem Perfect. to fit. I mean, yeah. density
3: kind of being like stupidity or or Block not being head-on-ness. able to you know, get through to someone. You, you know, you talk about their density, their, their dense of mind or whatever.
0: Mm. Although yeah. I do always think of George McFly saying, Say, yes, you are my, my density. density. But he means destiny. destiny. You are my density. You if, are my dord. If it he had said you are my
1: dord, it would have been the ultimate in-joke.
3: But dord has this kind of like stupid soundingness mm-hmm. to it, yeah. you know. It, it, the consonants at the end are just kind of Beautiful. And so I mean we can kind of see how this happened. You explained it well by the writing on the card, just simply the spaces weren't right. So some editor misinterpreted it as a word with a semantic meaning rather than an abbreviation. And yet somehow no tracking was ever done to refer back to the evidence and double-check if one editor was seeing the same as what another editor was seeing. And so it just kind of slipped through. And
0: I don't think this could happen in our era no. of lexicography. Well, I mean, this would never happen. There were 250 people working on this. They were probably under incredible deadlines all the time, right? This was right. an mm-hmm. immensely expensive project, yeah. and there was just a lot of pressure on people to do the work quickly. Was it I not assume. given an
2: etymology? Because, I mean, it seems very Germanic, I have to say, Dord. Right. But no etymology. It, no etymology, but I've never thought about this with regard to this slip. Because a lot of chemistry, of course, would be New Latin. You know, it would be given a very quick NL uh, for etymology and then move on. But usually those are completely transparent that we understand exactly what the Latin is that it's using. And this is the first time I've ever thought of that. The etymologist should have caught this, (laughs) but it should have been caught at many points. And one thing I want to mention is just this old kind of convention of print publishing, which is the typesetting copy editing marks, the squiggly line that was under there, which indicates bold. As an editor, and this is something that we've all done more in the past than today, if you put one straight line under, if you underline something, that means italics. And so this should have been squiggly under the capital D, a straight line under or, and then a squiggly line under the lowercase d. And that would have been bold, italic, bold, so that it would have been typeset in different characters, and it would have been very obvious that this said D or D and not doored. And I think another of those conventions is if you underline twice, if there's a double underline, that's what we call small caps, small capital letters that are used as cross-references.
1: What's interesting is that this era made it through, but before that time, it really was not at all uncommon to find scads, hordes of mistakes in dictionaries. I mean, lexicographers would botch stuff all the time.
0: But a mistake is different than a completely... Fictitious in a fake word. word,
1: right. My favorite example of a kind of weird word that went in was in the, the OED in the second edition. They had an entry for oneer, O-N-E-Y-E-R. They weren't sure what the word was or where it came from, but it was from Shakespeare. So they knew it was important enough to put in. But they actually, the definition says origin and meaning uncertain, which is really <laughs> a kind of placeholder for when we figure this out, we'll get back to you. Even though that's kind of absurd in a way, and now they define it as perhaps a sheriff, they got back to (laughs) us. It's very different than just putting in a completely imaginary word.
2: And this raises the question of security words or words that are put in to... Protect copyright.
1: Right, which is kind of a
2: myth. I think it's a myth. As far as I know, I mean, people often ask me that question, do you have secret words in the dictionary? It's just not something that we do.
1: Right. They're referred to as Mount Weasels in reference material based on what was it, the Columbia Encyclopedia, which I think had a fictitious entry for uh, <laughs> Lillian Mount Weasel. <laughs> Such a great and, name. And ever since that, it's it's really captured the public imagination that we're all putting in sneaky Sure, secret Imaginary words. secret things to try to catch our competitors, and it just doesn't really happen.
3: I think in terms of, like, dictionary lore and the strange stories of lexicography, this is, like, one of the chief ones of, like, how could that have happened? It's a story that maybe people who are never, have never worked on a dictionary couldn't understand how this is even possible. And then if you've worked on a dictionary, you can absolutely understand how it's possible. I mean, I don't know how many of these editions that still have the Dort in them survive I, in the I've wild got door. to this day? You've got I door. have one. Oh, have well, the they door. were printing them by I, the, the millionaire. Yeah. It's not quite as like the Honus Wagner baseball card, which not was quite. Like struck out of production after right. like a month. But
2: Neil, you bring up an important point. Sometimes I've corresponded with people who ask about this entry, or even on Twitter, this will become a discussion. It's maybe the most famous mistake in a dictionary. And I always say, if you find a copy of Webster's Second that do you want to buy, make sure it's got the error in it. <laughs> you know? Find one that's a, a copyright from before 1947. The one I have at home is a 46, and it has the error. And I think it's more colorful and more interesting and a great story. And if you're going to own a copy of a, a old historical dictionary like this, you might as well have the fun printing. Now,
1: Emily, did you just come across this? Was it just part of kind of office lore, or was when you started working at Merriam? almost 20 years ago. Was this part of like the cautionary training process that he sat everybody down all the new hires and told them the story <laughs> of do, do not do
3: this. <laughs> do not do Doord.
0: No, no, this was not. I somehow heard this somewhere along the way. Yes, in my early years. And I was really excited to actually go into the files and find the slip.
2: Mm, the slip is still all there.
0: All the evidence is there. Yeah.
1: The closest story I ever heard similar to this was that there's this wonderful project, the um, historical thesaurus of the Oxford English mm, Dictionary. Mm. is a wonderful, insane, insane project that these researchers at the University of Glasgow spent four and a half decades going through the entire Oxford English Dictionary and finding not just the synonyms, but the historical synonyms for every word. It's a beautiful, beautiful Mm. word. It's insane Mm. and really spectacular. And I was talking to the editors-in-chief, these lovely old Scottish women who have been working on this for decades. (laughs) And one of them said that one time had a bad graduate student. They had graduate students that would work on it. And they said one time they had a bad graduate student. They had to let him go they fired this guy, and she said, as he was leaving, he turned to us in fear, and he said, I just want you to know I put a fake definition in, and I'm not telling you where it is. (laughs) And and she said they actually spent several weeks looking for it before they decided that he probably wasn't telling the truth. (laughs) It was such a genius thing to say, anyway. A a crappy, I mean, a really mean thing to do. It's terrible. But, you know, these are people who have dedicated their lives to the accurate cataloging of millions and millions of possible shades of meaning and to say that one of them is wrong is really, oh boy, that's mean.
0: No doubt about how him being bad. Yes, right. There's villainy there. Yes.
2: But the thing about this era is it sort of doesn't hurt anybody. You know, it's sort of fun. What it really shows, I think, is the sort of assembly line quality of this kind of work for a project like that. And these people were working quickly And the slip was passed from one editor to another and it went through several hands and nobody noted that it was not a word that any of them had ever heard of before. But think of how many words these people worked on. Speaking for myself, uh, very frequently you encounter words that we've never heard of before at all. So that's a regular part of the job.
3: Especially when we're dealing with different specialists, or sure. you would have by a, a science, you would have deferred, you would have, have deferred sciences. to the science expert, and you know someone who is not in the physical sciences, a general editor who would encounter that and think, okay, I'm going to trust what you're saying. <laughs> I, I don't read these books. I don't read these books about physical sciences. Right, right, so right.
2: I,
0: it's a good point that a non-specialist would recognize that specialists would know terms they didn't know yeah, for right. density.
3: So, I mean, Emily was saying that this kind of error likely wouldn't happen now. Mainly that's because of the tools that we use to create definitions now and create citations now. Pretty much everything's electronic now. So, And it would pass probably in front of a large number of people before it actually saw an attempt at being set in print.
0: Here's something I'm wondering. What... Order? Did they complete this project in what order? We never start at A. We never start a new defining project. It's the big a. secret you're revealing. We there's sometimes a, a start at L or, or M, yeah. and
1: that way you get to the end faster. As <laughs> Jesse Scheidlauer used to say, "Start at M, you get there twice as fast." Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: No, it's because A can be scrutinized, and you really want to have your system down before you. you know, the the before idea you get being to A. that
3: people looking at the dictionary and judging it are going to look at the beginning. Yeah, of they stop reading. And if they see mistakes at the beginning that were done at early in the stage of the, compiling the dictionary, then they might be less likely to.
0: You want to be in your groove by the yeah. time you get to A. Right. And I wonder what the order of defining was for the second unabridged. What if DORD was one of the last entries? What if D was, you know, they're coming down to it the It was coming down and was, they were reading
3: the deadline, yeah. meeting the deadline, and they were just like, to heck with this.
0: It's... I'm just going to let it go. Yeah, yeah. that information is knowable, but I don't know it.
2: I don't know either. It was the biggest mass-produced book, I guess, in American publishing history, and it was sort of supposed to be the kitchen sink. It was supposed to be sort of your home internet, if you will, at the time. So it had all the vocabulary words, but it had a huge number of what we would call today encyclopedic entries or proper nouns that are entered in there. So the actual nature of this reference book was supposed to be kind of the one and only guide to everything, <laughs> and a gazetteer and atlas and you know, everything you could imagine. It's a huge doorstop, and obviously, subsequently, the bigger problem became what to remove. There were so many things that were just nonce words or uh, encyclopedic terms that East were Indian dropped. East
1: Indian shrubs. There are so many East Indian shrubs in the second edition. Is that oh, true? Wow. Yeah, a huge number. Wow. It I was one of the first dictionaries I ever read cover to cover, and I just remember thinking it was a really profusion, a, a thorough cataloging of East Indian shrubs.
2: But it's a beloved edition, and people love it. I love it. Yeah, mm. it's
1: called the Poets' Dictionary. Oh, right. And well, not just because of the East Indian shrubs. No, 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 it's because well of the
2: language <laughs> of the definitions, <laughs> right. which were well, still complete sentences back then.
1: Well, not just that, but then there are also a huge number of words that are kind of poetic in nature. There are words which were removed based on being archaic or so. Oh, right. And so I think there's a higher proportion of obscure literary words. It has perhaps my all-time favorite word, which I may have mentioned in this podcast before. People always like to say, well, do you have a favorite word in finding a for diction? I never had a favorite word for years and years and years. I always wanted to have a favorite word, but, you know, all <laughs> words are beautiful. In the Webster's second edition, I came across what was, in fact, my favorite word, which is not just poetic, but it comes from a great poem from Homer, and it's Ukalagon." And it is defined as a neighbor whose house is on fire. <laughs> and I thought this is a word worthy of being my favorite word. Finally, I can say I've got a favorite word. <laughs> Who amongst us has not ever wanted to use this <laughs>
3: word? Who amongst us does not, at some point in time, thought I
1: wished that was my or ragun. write a poem
3: a, or write a poem right. with it right. instead of like helping our neighbor whose house is on fire. Right.
1: That's from the second. And no other dictionary I've ever seen had that. So buy a copy if you're looking for a great dictionary. Buy the copy that has Dored and Uncaligant. <laughs>
0: are listening to Word Matters. I'm Emily Brewster. We'll be back with the oft annoying awesome after the break. BP added more than $70 billion to the US economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Word Matters is a production of Merriam-Webster in collaboration with New England Public Media. I'm Neil Servin.
3: Do you have a question about the origin, history, or meaning of a word? Email us at wordmatters at m-w.com.
2: I'm Peter Sokolowski. Join me every day for The Word of the Day, a brief look at the definition and history of one word, available at merriam-webster.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And for more podcasts from New England Public Media, visit the NEPM Podcast Hub at nepm.org.
0: One surefire way to annoy people who care deeply about language is to give a serious word a new and not-so-serious use. Hand-wringing among those who know the word's history is sure to ensue, while the young'uns just think the new thing is awesome. Here's Amon Shea with the story of that very one. Awesome.
1: There are many things that people say, word choices that people make, which kind of indicate which side of a particular age divide that they're on. (laughs) And a lot of times these tend to be um, kind of anger-based choices, whether they're angry about something or displeased by something. And one of the clearest examples of that that I know of is the word awesome and whether something is awesome because it tastes good or whether something is awesome because it is in fact productive of awe. As an illustration of this, I'd like to quote a tweet from Neil deGrasse Tyson in which he said, in my day... And I'm imagining his voice. In my day, the word awesome was reserved for things like curing polio and walking on the moon. Not for food or TV shows. (laughs) I'd like to give an example, a written example, of the kind of awesome that Neil deGrasse Tyson finds so objectionable. And of course, in order to do so, I'm going to quote a tweet by Neil deGrasse Tyson. Of course, in the 1998 film Armageddon, the asteroid chunks had awesome aim, hitting all the great cities of the world. <laughs> so here we have kind of point and counterpoint, courtesy of one of our most beloved scientists.
3: So where do you guys
1: fall in the awesome divide?
3: Well, maybe reflective of my age, but to me, awesome is right in my hot spot when I was 10 years old. It was the word everybody was using. Absolutely. I right. saw an awesome movie... That's an awesome bike you got. I associate it with BMX bicycles and honeycomb commercials and all the good things in life. All the good things in life, you know, night rider and all that. So, I am definitely of the later sense of awesome.
0: I remember it being objected to when I was growing up. I remember people complaining, specifically in church. I remember it being a topic during multiple uh, sermons, oh, right? That's, that it was that's only really only God right, right. should be awesome. <laughs> There's
3: also a clinging to the importance of awe there, yes. right? is about what church is about. You have something that you should be of in awe of, right? That's well, right. Well, church.
1: that's really great. But one of the things that's kind of nice about that is that the original meaning of awe from the 12th century, which is now obsolete, was intense fear, dread, or terror. Mm -hmm. And it very often was used in a religious context. And so awesome was not the Grand Canyon awesome. Awesome was going to strike you dead and salt your land with, you know. (laughs) Right,
0: you're a pillar of salt for looking back. Right, right.
1: So in, in 1578 John Rowland, one of the earliest uses of awesome in this sense the seven sages of Rome, wrote about how that we do provoke his awesome ire. And he was really kind of speaking of a vengeful God. Even in the 17th century, Samuel Rutherford's Christ dying, he has the ceremony of deaths approaching, of the noise of its feet, of its Awesome in dreadful gloom. This was not awesome in a positive sense. This was awesome as in you're about to get dragged away to hell in eternal torment kind of feeling.
0: Not awesome.
1: Not at all awesome. It's such an interesting word because one of the things that people will distinguish between awesome and awful, but we don't really say anymore, like, you shouldn't say awful is bad because it's not full of awe. We don't apply the same stricture to awful that we often do to awesome. People used to have that kind of requirement for awful. Hester Piazzi in 1794 said of awful, it should be used with caution and a due sense of its importance. I have heard even well-bred ladies now and then attribute that term too lightly in their common conversation. A usage book from 1899, the correct word, says awful means inspiring with awe. Incorrect uses of this word are found in colloquial speech as an awful dinner. And so nothing is new under the sun anymore (laughs) because, you know, I'm sure they were talking about the thing that they used to, you know, complain about with awe. So people used to complain about awful not being full of awe. Now we're fine with it. And then people decided to complain about awesome not being full of awe.
2: There's an example in our dictionary from George Eliot in the sense that you just talked about inspiring awe. And the sentence is, the presence of nature in all her awful loveliness. Oh, uh, yeah. Isn't yeah. that interesting? That's the way we might use awesome in a more conventional way. And yet I would trip over this, and it is surprising to well, see yeah, it.
1: Sure. I mean, if you look at the order of senses that we have for often, we have extremely disagreeable. And then the next one is exceedingly great. And then we have inspiring awe. And then obsolete, we have afraid and terrified. Mm -hmm. If you were unfamiliar with context or the history of the word, this would be a deeply, deeply confusing (laughs) thing to come across. (laughs) But we also see this with kind of extended uses of the word awfully. For instance, he performed awfully has a clear negative meaning. Right. Clear to us. And then that's awfully kind of you has a clear
2: positive meaning.
0: Right. Well, awfully there is just really an intensive.
2: Right. Right. An awful lot of money is basically an intensifier, right? It just makes the word lot more lot.
1: <laughs> but, you know, awesome did have for hundreds of years, obviously, it had that sense that people will want to kind of restrict it to the Grand Canyon, the glory of nature or God, whatever sense. And it did then in the 19th century, it kind of moved into a weakened negative sense. And then the beginnings, I think, of the weakened positive sense come up in the early 20th century. There was a nice citation from the the Brooklyn Daily Eagle. An awesome plan of campaign is presented on paper by the rebels in which the capture of Havana is talked of as easy and certain. I don't think they really mean like awesome thundering trumpets and, you know, wrath of God kind of awesome. They mean something more than nifty, like noteworthy.
0: Right. I knew we were going to be talking about this today, and I was looking at LexisNexis and what it has for early examples of awesome. And starting in the 1930s, their sources are very limited for that period of time. But the earliest example in LexisNexis currently is FDR using the word awesome. And then the next example is Truman. FDR used it once. Truman used it three times. Eisenhower three times. Kennedy twice. Johnson five times. Nixon twice. And in all of these cases, they were using the word to modify words like duty and power and responsibility. And it isn't until 1975 that LexisNexis has an example of awesome being used in the way that we're talking about right now. And it was in sports, and it was about the Pittsburgh Steelers. <laughs> Excellent. What was it? it was about them being really great. <laughs> the steel well Steel Curtain. They had, it was about being an awesome team that had a good chance in the Super Bowl. Now, they had won the 75 Super Bowl, and they did, in fact, go on to win the 76 Super Bowl. I am from Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. I was not there at the time, <laughs> I will say. But I was very pleased that the first example in sports was about the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's, well, for some cool.
3: of us, it's interesting that some of us might have had this that strange experience of knowing the later sense first and then being surprised to discover the earlier sense. It and means right. productive of all. Wow, who knew? This is a rare instance where I remember where I encountered it I've had a few instances where I remember where I learned a word for the first time you know and I can't say there's a lot of them but I remember this other sense because I was so used to using awesome in my own vocabulary just to mean really great and it was usually for positive things in the 80s we happened to have the movie Superman 3 recorded on VHS it's a terrible movie It's got Richard Pryor and Robert Vaughn in it. Robert Vaughn is trying to destroy all the coffee crops in South America. Somehow, I can't remember exactly how, he creates this terrible storm that destroys all the coffee crops in, like, Venezuela, Colombia, whatever. And we see news footage. We see a news anchor talking about the storm. The anchor is quoting someone who was at the scene who says, It was the most awesome display of natural forces unleashed since Noah's Ark. And I thought to myself, what's so great about (laughs) this? (laughs) That lodged in my head. And of course, maybe the fact that it was recorded and so I saw it a few more times because we played it on the tape. It lodged in my head that there was this other sense of awesome... That is not what I was going for when I used it with my friends. Right. Not
0: about honeycombs at all. Not no. about honeycombs.
1: It's great that Emily has the citation from 1975 and you're right in that same time period because the earliest use that the Oxford English Dictionary attributes to what they think of as a kind of a sense that's even more weakened, used by kids, for instance. They have a citation from Connie Elb, who is this really great researcher and mm. she's a professor who just retired at UNC, University of North Carolina. And for decades, what Connie would do she would ask her students to give her lists of slag, and she kept these lists, and it's this amazing resource over like 30 or 40, 40 years of really painstakingly documented changes in the language. And the earliest use that the OED has for this weakened sense of awesome is from Connie's lists in 1979. No kidding. The citation giving is awesome-fantastic. And so that's a very short definition, but it's an interesting definition because... It brings to mind that we, again, complain about awesome, that we don't any longer complain about awful, that we used to. We don't complain about fantastic. Meaning, that's great. We no longer say, but it's based on fantasy Mm -hmm. is the real meaning. (laughs) We don't any longer, perhaps we used to, but we no longer complain about fabulous, no longer meaning of the nature of a fable, of a pertaining to fables. We no longer complain about wonderful meaning that to be wondered at. Mm.
0: And there's a whole class of words. We don't have to be amazed. Right.
1: There's an entire broad category of words, which more or less mean, something that's really great that used to have distinctly different meanings. Awesome is, is one, but there are many, many others.
0: They tend to start off with this slang as they first come to be used in this way to mean really great. It has a slang feel. The word sweet, like ooh, sweet. Mm. That's still, that's right. still slangy at some point it's going to lose that veneer and it's just going to be somebody's grandmother it's saying... going to be awesome sooner or
3: later <laughs> but we even sometimes use negative words and when we force them to have positive connotations you know we do seen bad to mean good mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. sick can mean really impressive mm-hmm. you know right. bad, bad some sick mean moves good. you know right. so i think what happens is we really seek out creative language when we're trying to show how much we love something and how impressed we are by mm-hmm. something We want to create that impression, so we don't want to use a word that everybody already knows. We kind of want to, like, get people's antenna up and show, oh, wow, this person really looked for a new word to describe how great this thing was. And so they came up with awesome, they came up with fantastic, they came up with sick.
2: So it starts as hyperbole, and then it becomes more familiar to everyone. Yeah,
1: that's a a really good explanation. I was going to say nothing has meaning anymore.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Meaning has no meaning. There is no such thing as meaning. But then we have no jobs. Language is dead. (laughs) But then we have no jobs, Ammon. (laughs)
1: Don't tell them. Don't tell anybody. There is no meaning. There's no such thing.
0: Let us know what you think about Word Matters. Review us on Apple Podcasts or send us an email at wordmatters at m-w.com. You can also visit us at nepm.org. And for the word of the day and all your general dictionary needs, visit merriam-webster.com. Our theme music is by Tobias Voigt. Artwork by Annie Jacobson. Word Matters is produced by Adam Maid and John Vosey. For Neil Servan, Amon Shea, and Peter Sokolowski, I'm Emily Brewster. Word Matters is a production of Merriam-Webster in collaboration with New England Public Media.